I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt compelled to share the truth of Christ with someone, but in that moment you hesitated? You hesitated and then the opportunity passed. Maybe the fear of facing opposition caused you to hesitate. If so, did you find yourself regretting that you missed that moment to share Christ with them? Did you find yourself wondering, what if that was their only chance to hear about Jesus? Did you find yourself wishing that you could have been more bold? This morning we're going to look at an example of some early Christians who recognized their need for boldness when it came to sharing Christ with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Today I will be continuing a two-part series titled Courageous for Christ, as Graham stated. Last week I preached a message titled Evangelizing in the Face of Opposition. And this morning's message is titled Speaking Boldly in the Face of Opposition. Before we get started, I need to give you a brief overview of the events that led up to this point in the text. Last week I discussed Luke's account of Peter and John's efforts as recorded in the book of Acts, to to begin fulfilling the mandate of Christ to grow the church. As I pointed out last week, the book of Acts is the sequel to Luke's gospel, and it is his second book to Theophilus. In chapter 1, the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem, as Jesus had instructed them before his ascent into heaven, to receive the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, they were visited by and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and immediately after that, Peter went and he preached his first sermon. And this took place on the day of Pentecost, and on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church, and this represents the beginning of the church. In chapter 3, as Peter and John were going up to the temple to speak, they were met by a 40-year-old man who had been lame since birth, and when he asked Peter and John for alms, Peter told him that he had no money, but he would give him what he did have. And he told the lame beggar to get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he took the man by the hand, raised him up, and the man was healed. As the man went into the temple, leaping and praising God, the people marveled at Peter and John. But Peter explained that 
It was not by their power that this man had been healed, but by the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter then preached Christ crucified, and the text tells us that on that day, 5,000 men were added to the church. And this doesn't account for the women who may have been there and received Christ on that day. The captain of the temple and the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because Peter and John were teaching and proclaiming Christ and the resurrection from the dead. So they arrested them, and the next day they took them before the Sanhedrin. Now remember, this was the same Sanhedrin that had Christ crucified. And this marks the beginning of the persecution of the church. Up until this point, according to Luke's account, there had been no real opposition to the building up of the church. When the rulers, elders, and scribes, including the, all of the high priestly family, inquired by what authority they did these things, Peter and John explained that it was by the authority of Christ that they did these things. Christ, the cornerstone that they, the builders, had rejected and had crucified. Unable to dispute the miraculous healing of the lame beggar and unable to charge them with any crime, the Sanhedrin then demanded Peter and John stop teaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John responded by explaining to them that whether it was right in the sight of God to listen to them rather than God, they must judge. But they, Peter and John, could only speak of that which they themselves had seen and heard, the truth of the resurrected Christ. Unable to hold them any longer, for the people were praising God for what had happened, the Sanhedrin was forced to let them go. And that brings us to today's text, chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Here we see that after Peter and John were released by the Sanhedrin, they returned to their friends, the other disciples, and shared with them the details of their experience with the religious leaders. After explaining to the other disciples that the Sanhedrin had charged them to teach about Jesus no longer, they lifted their voices together in prayer. As a unified body, they came together and they prayed corporately. First, they, asked, they acknowledged God's sovereignty, and then they asked Him for boldness so they could continue speaking His word to others. And that brings me to my first point, point number one. Christian community encourages believers to boldly proclaim the truth of Christ to the world. Look with me at the text beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God. Notice that right away, Peter and John went to the other disciples and shared the testimony of their experience with them. This was their adopted family. This was their church family. These were the people they had common ground with. Their brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter and John knew that they could rely on their brothers and sisters in Christ. We, as Christians, are adopted into the same family. God's family. And we support and encourage one another. That's what we're to do. 
when the others realized the challenge that they all faced, they came together in prayer. It's important for you to know that you're not alone in fulfilling the work that God has given you to do. In addition to God directly sustaining us, He has designed it so that we, as a church body, have each other as encouragement and support. Are you connected with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a close relationship with them as Peter and John did here? Are you worshiping with, praying with, studying with, and being equipped for ministry with your church family? I pray that you are. Notice that when the other believers heard the testimony of Peter and John, they all lifted their voices together to God. The word together here comes from the Greek word hamathumadon. Kind of rolls right off the tongue there, doesn't it? But it means with one mind. It means with one purpose. Peter and John and the other disciples, their friends, as Luke describes them, were all of one mind. They were of one purpose. Later, closer to the end of Peter's life, he wrote to the Christians in Asia Minor. They were beginning to face serious persecution for sharing Christ with others, and they needed encouragement. So Peter wrote to encourage them. And In his letter to them, which is the book of 1 Peter, he wrote this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Now this should sound familiar. In my introduction and in last week's sermon, I mentioned the text of Acts 4.11, where Peter referred to Jesus as the cornerstone who was rejected by the builders, the religious leaders. And here he does it again, and he tells them this, You yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The idea here is that Christians are living stones that make up the church. We, the living stones, are fitted together by God to build the church, to accomplish His purposes. And the church is built off the reference of Christ, the cornerstone. In Peter's time when a building was being erected, the builders would place a cornerstone and it would serve as the reference from which all other construction was established. All other stones would be measured, leveled, squared, and plumbed off of the cornerstone. They would be referenced off the cornerstone and fitted together carefully with great craftsmanship reflecting the impressive skill of the master builder. That's us believers. That's the church. God as the master builder fits us together perfectly, building us up as a spiritual house held together as a unit by the power and direction of God with Christ as our cornerstone to accomplish His purposes. Later in verse 9, Peter wrote this, But you are a chosen 
race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. What Peter is describing here is a people, a priesthood with a common goal to minister in partnership with one another to benefit God's kingdom and his eternal purposes. Peter is describing a family. He's describing God's family. And if you're a believer here today, you are part of that family. Are you being one with your church family? Are you working together with your brothers and sisters in Christ as a spiritual house to accomplish God's purposes? It's a team effort. We were never meant to live our Christian life apart from other Christians. We were meant to be unified, to work together to accomplish God's eternal purposes. We were never meant to go it alone. And if you're a believer here today, you're not alone. You don't fight the battle of living for Christ, doing the work of missions alone. You have friends. You have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellow believers with a common goal. If you're not a believer, I pray that you would change that today. As a believer, not only do you go with the authority of Christ and the power of God to share that which you know to be true, but you have a family of believers to encourage you and support you in your efforts. As believers, we're there to help meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But of course, ultimately, it's God who meets our needs. And that's why we see that Peter and John and the other believers were going to the Lord in prayer to seek his help. They faced opposition and they knew that they needed to be bold in the face of that opposition. So they went to the Lord in prayer to ask him for boldness. And that brings me to my second point, point number two. Sovereign God empowers believers to boldly proclaim the truth of Christ to the world. Look with me again, beginning in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Peter and John and the other believers knew that God was and is sovereign over his creation. 
And that he works miraculously and providentially intervening in the lives of people to accomplish his plans. And they knew that they could trust him to help them accomplish what he had sent them to do. As they prayed, they recalled the second psalm. And inciting it, they illustrated the point that God sovereignly used those who opposed him to accomplish his plan to provide the way of salvation for man through the crucifixion and resurrection of his son Jesus. In this passage, they showed that the Gentiles who raised were the Roman soldiers who executed Jesus. The people of Israel who rejected Christ were those people who plotted in vain. Herod represented the kings of the earth, and Pontius Pilate represents the rulers, and Christ is the Lord's anointed. Peter, John, and the other Christians were pointing out here that in his sovereignty, God uses wicked people, people that oppose him, to accomplish his eternal purposes. Any plotting or raging done against God is done in vain because God has already predetermined the outcome. In the paradox of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, his purposes prevail. They did so on the cross, and they did so when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin. The disciples knew this, and they trusted that God in his sovereignty was in control of the outcome of all things and would provide them with the boldness that they needed to continue to speak God's word to others. Are you trusting in God's sovereignty for him to equip you and guide your life? Or do you go it alone thinking that everything is up to you? Do you acknowledge that God is sovereign over his creation and that he is at work in the lives of people, working to accomplish his purposes? Or do you think living the Christian life and fulfilling the task of missions falls completely on you? Peter, John, and the other Christians made clear that God is sovereign and providentially at work in the lives of people. They trusted in his sovereignty, and they asked him to look upon the opposition they were facing and grant them all boldness so they could continue to speak God's word to others. And God delighted in answering their prayer. Believers speaking his word boldly to others is also part of his redemptive plan. As I read earlier in 1 Peter, we are a royal priesthood given the task of proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God uses believers to share his message of redemption with others. I asked you earlier if you ever missed an opportunity to share Christ with someone because you hesitated. Are you speaking boldly the word of God into the lives of others? If not, are you asking God for boldness, the boldness that you need to fulfill the mission? God will provide that for which he calls us to do. And this includes the boldness we need to speak to others about the gospel. As I mentioned last week when doing God's work, we will face persecution. Christ was persecuted. If, we, if he was persecuted and we represent him well, we will be persecuted. We see that here with Peter and John. 
But we also see Peter and John and the other believers asking God for boldness so they can continue to share the word with others in the face of that opposition. And God answers their prayer. He answers it by filling them with the Holy Spirit, which gives them the boldness they need to continue sharing God's word with others. And this brings me to my final point, point number three. The Holy Spirit enables believers to boldly proclaim the truth of Christ to the world. Look with me at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Here God gave his disciples a tangible sense of his presence as he gave them the renewed filling of his spirit. Now this was not a second Pentecost. The disciples had already been indwelt with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This brings up one of those difficult doctrines, and I could spend an entire Sunday morning (laughs) talking about that, but I'll just mention it briefly. The indwelling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, and being sealed by the Spirit are words that are synonymous with one another. They describe the initial moment a believer receives the Holy Spirit. It's the point where God takes up residence in the believer. For believers today, it's the moment of conversion. It's the moment when the believer becomes a child of God. It's permanent. What's being described here is different. This was a filling of the Holy Spirit. It was a refreshing, a renewing of God's Spirit within them. We see the difference between the two when we look at Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 1, Paul told the believers that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This was a past tense event. It is the same as being baptized with the Spirit or being indwelled with the Spirit. But in Ephesians 5, Paul told the believers who had already received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit not to get drunk with wine, but be filled with with the Spirit. This was present tense. This was something that was to take place continually. As believers, we are called to be continually filled with God's Holy Spirit. We are to be under the influence of and guided by the Holy Spirit. We are to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-controlled. And the way we do that is we corporately worship God. We pray together. We study together. We teach and equip. And when we are convicted by God's word, we yield to that conviction and allow God to change us and shape us. We must be good students of God's word. Peter and John and the other disciples, they were. They had knowledge and understanding of God's word. They quoted scripture in this text, the second psalm. They had spent three years with Jesus They learned from the master teacher, and he used the world as his classroom. Are you involved in a good Bible study? Or is that something you are neglecting? Believers are called to be good students of God's work and to minister alongside each other, living out the mission to boldly proclaim God's word to others. This is what Peter, John, and the other disciples were doing. They were corporately worshiping God. They were in prayer together. They were filled 
with the Spirit. And the text tells us that they continued boldly proclaiming God's Word. In the Bible, every time there is a filling of the Spirit, there is spiritual activity. And the result here was that the disciples continued speaking the Word of God boldly. And this is what we are to do, believers. As Graham said before, if the Spirit is not in it, no fruit will come. Are you like Peter, John, and the other disciples, being filled with God's Spirit and truth and being shaped by it? Boldly sharing the truth of God's Word with others? I pray that you are. Maybe you're here today or you're listening online and you're just now hearing this truth. Maybe you're just now hearing about Christ. Or maybe you've heard of Christ, but you've never truly committed your life to Him. If this is you, I pray that you would do that today. When Peter stood before the Sanhedrin, he shared the truth of Christ with them. He told them this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God sent His Son, Jesus, to live the perfect life, to lay it down willingly at the cross and to take it up again three days later. Jesus conquered death and paid the penalty for sin for those who would place their faith and trust in Him and receive the gift of eternal life. Repent, turn from your sins, turn your heart toward God and follow Christ and be saved. If you have not done that, I pray that you will do that today. Let's pray together.